Well, let's get in the Word this morning. I want to encourage you to follow with me in the Scriptures as we uh, will show some of them on the screen. But I was wondering this morning, how in the world am I going to start this message? Because, you know, we don't preach woe is me messages. We preach wow is God messages. But I was thinking about that this morning. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you should look up the woes in the Bible and talk about them. So I'm going to do that sometime in the future, but not today. But anyway, I'm thinking, how do we start this message? I know that he's given me something. And uh, so I've never, that I can remember, have done this before, but I just was looking at 2 Timothy, and I read the, the commentary, the opening, you know, summary of what that book is all about. And I felt like the Lord said, read it, because that is exactly where you're going, and, it, and it's a foundation. It, of really what I'm going to talk about for the rest of this time this morning. So anyway, you listen to me. You can't find that in your Bible unless you have the same version. But listen to this. This is introduction. Prison. That's a great way to start, isn't it? And in fact, it's all capital. Prison is the last place from which to expect a letter of encouragement. But we remember that's where Paul wrote, Timothy, the words of encouragement. That's where that letter originated. And he began by assuring Timothy of his continuing love and prayers and reminds him of his spiritual heritage. How I many of you know we have a heritage? We have an inheritance. And the enemy's always trying to disrupt us and get us off of the course to keep us from our inheritance. It's a battle. And so he's reminding him of his inheritance and responsibilities. You know, God is in control. I like that phrase. We know that God is sovereign. But how many of you know there's not long with the sovereignty of God is the responsibility of man. And you can't neglect what God's called you and it's out of obedience. Then he goes on. Only the one who perseveres whether as a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, or minister of Jesus, will reap the rewards. And so Paul warns Timothy that his teaching will come under attack as men desert the truth for ear-itching words. And you remember that scripture in that book. But Timothy has Paul's example to guide him, God's word to fortify him as he faces the growing opposition and glowing opportunities in the last days. And when I read that, I thought, you know, that would be a great title for this. Growing opposition and glowing opportunities, especially in the last days. So that's a good start. I want you to go with me now, if you would. In fact, why don't we pray, and then we're going to go to Ezekiel 33. I'm excited. I also told the Lord this week, Lord, maybe somebody else could preach that message. That means it's going to be good. Because sometimes he just, you don't tell people what you want them to hear. You don't tell people what you want to say. You tell them what God is saying. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for these. Thank you for those watching online. And Lord, we thank you for this incredible 
hour that you've summoned us to. And we thank you for the word of God that gives us the hope, the encouragement. Lord, thank you for the promise of the inheritance that we have in Christ and for the reminder of the responsibilities. Lord, thank you for the glorious opportunities. And we thank you for the nonstop 24-hour-a-day resistance and opposition because that's the times in which we're living. And so we thank you, Lord, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And, Lord, help me deliver what you put in my heart. And so we thank you. This is not going to be a normal Sunday. It's already not been. We don't want normal Sundays. We want encounters with you. And, Lord, all, we can do things the same or we can do things different. It makes no mind. The key is when you show up. And we pray for your presence. God, we ask for divine interruptions. Lord, we're going one way as a nation. And unless you interrupt us, then you said there's a way that seems right, but that way ends up in death. And so we're asking for your interruption and that we might go your way because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, look with me, if you would, to the great book of Ezekiel. And this is where I want to begin and then take off. Verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. Now, what's a watchman? It's exactly what it is. They're set up on a tower on the walls of the city, and they're watching what's coming down the road. And they can see what, what you know, is the next thing they need to prepare for. They can announce what's coming. It says, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, That word if is always intriguing to me. That means you don't have to do that. You can be, you don't have to be a watchman. You can disobey or you can obey the Lord if you blow the trumpet. Verse 4, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. Now that word, those three words, save his life, is literally deliver his soul. Your soul is what? Your mind, your will, and emotions. You can lose your life in this life. I mean, if you know that. The Bible says, don't fear the one that can kill the body, but cannot touch the soul, right? Have a fear of God. Don't fear the devil. But you can lose your life, but you want your soul to be delivered. But, verse 6, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he's taken away in his iniquity. But his blood 
I will require at the watchman's hand. And that's the fear of the Lord when I read that scripture. Verse 7, so you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. I, um, two weeks ago, we were preaching this word. It was, I think it was two weeks ago. And, and I came across a scripture out of the book of Lamentations. And I did not write down the scriptural reference for it. And someone asked me on the front row, where are you reading from? Because they couldn't believe what I was reading. And uh, now I know why I forgot. Because I had to go back and look at that. Because there's a message in it that we need to understand, I believe, that is just uh, pertinent for the hour. So I want you to go to that book of Lamentations. That's... Not the book you want to listen to, Dr. Kyle, before you go to sleep, probably. You might want to listen to the Psalms, you know, another scripture. But anyway, there's a lot of good stuff in the book of Lamentations. Say good stuff. There's good stuff in every book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's good stuff. And we must be a people of the word. The words of men can confuse you, the words of God can ignite you for great purpose. Now, I want to go to that scripture in a moment, and I will, but there were some scriptures when I went back to the book that I couldn't pass over. You just, you know, there's some things you just have to pay attention to. And so in chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. Now think about this for a moment. We'll we'll get to that main thing in Lamentations in a moment. But true prophetic ministry, you could define it like this. Number one, it tells it like it is. Right? Number two, you tell it to whom the Lord sends. You can only, they'll only have ears to hear if the Lord sends you. There are many that went, but then there are those who are sent. Thirdly, you tell it regardless of who gets offended. How many of you know the Word of God should offend you? It should. There are portions of Scripture that should offend us. Jesus was a what? A rock, a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. you got to get that right. He offended people, and we should too. They either loved him or they hated him. I've always thought that prophetic or preaching, period, you should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, one or the other. Bring comfort, but you should also afflict those that are comfortable in their sin. Prophets are not pamperers, pacifiers, or mere predictors who seem to seldom get it right. They are those who were sent with the message. I just read out of Ezekiel, give them my word for me. Not their word for them. There's a great difference in that. Prophets tell it like it is. They tell it to whom the Lord sends. They tell it regardless of who gets offended. Two more things. They tell it as if they're speaking the very oracles of God. 
You speak. That's what you're supposed to. Let him who ministered minister as so he is ministering the very oracles of God, the very word, the mouth of God. And that's what we read in Ezekiel. And then you should tell them, tell it in order to turn people from their ways. Not their own way, but God's way, right? Back into the way of the Lord. Jeremiah, in a particular passage, he said, speaking of the prophets, and he would say that today. He said, if they had stood in my counsel and they had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their doings. And uh, Jeremiah, he goes on in that in another place. He said, let him who has a dream tell his dream." But let him who has my word, let him tell my word faithfully. So in other words, the emphasis is on the word of God. Does that make sense? And then there's a scripture over in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, "He he that comes to you, if he does not have my word, it's because he has no light in him. And anyway, and then Jesus had something to say about all this. He said in Matthew chapter 7 that... Just because someone speaks prophetically, it does not mean that they're truly representing him. How many of you know that? He said there'll be many in that day. They'll prophesy. They'll do many wonderful things, but they never knew him. So anyway, that's an interesting thought. And then over and go back to Lamentations chapter 4 verse 6. I could not let this scripture get by. That's the only problem. Sometimes I get a a text and a passage and then I mess up and read scriptures, other scriptures and I say God that fits too and then that, sometimes you don't need to read anymore, just read what he's given you and then stop reading, does that make sense I know you don't understand that but, but to me the word comes alive and, and if it comes alive you gotta, you gotta speak it, it's like fire in your bones You're weary of holding it in. But look at this verse in verse 6. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. When I read that, I thought about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He's referring to Chorazin and Capernaum. And he said, if the works that were done in you, were done in Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, they would have repented a long time ago. They would have been remaining until this day. But they didn't repent. And remember he said, but I tell you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And I thought, Lord, there has never been a nation on the face of the earth that's had so much of the gospel preached, so many prophecies so many words of wisdom, so many marvelous deeds than the United States of America. And then I thought back at that statement someone said. They said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not going to apologize. Now let's go to uh, Lamentations where I need to go. And... uh, chapter 4 verse 17 now this is what I read a few weeks ago when I read this I could not believe this because I'm just telling you I'm can I be honest I'm overwhelmed by the word of God 
I'm not impressed by the word of men or women anymore. Now, if they speak, thus saith the Lord, I'm impressed. But a lot of men and women have said things that it's been proven it was not the word of the Lord. He said, speak my word that for me. Did you see? Remember that. Speak my word for me. What is God, some schizophrenic, changing his mind every moment? No, he changes not. His word is the same. He's the same. Anyway, I'm thinking about all the stuff America's been through over the last few months. And look in verse 17. Still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation or a government or a president that could not save us. Now, let me read that again. I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing, but what I'm seeing, still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. Then verse 18, they tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. When I read that, I thought of Big Brother on steroids. And I said, God, how could you write this in the book of Lamentations? And it fit for today, 2021. And I wish I could say more things right now, but some things you have to wait but everything is not as, as it appears. Social distancing, let me whisper, is not about your health. It has nothing to do with it. Anyway, stick to the course. You could get censored. People will throw you off. They'll turn you off. Don't turn me off. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Jeremiah saw this and summed it up. He said, here's what he thought. Our days were near. Our end was near. Our days were over, for our end has come. That's how he summed up things. And he looked around. And then, but then verse 19, because this is where we really want to be. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains. And lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The word pursuer is also the word persecute. Persecution. Now I have to just quickly mention chapter 5 because you know this is how the prophet then he surveys the situation. And he gives hope. There's hope. Say hope. Listen, we are proclaimers of hope. But before you know the remedy, you have to know the problem. And in so chapter 5, he says, Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. Sound like they had been invaded. I wonder how that fits. It says we, we paid for our water that we drank. And our wood comes to us at a price. They pursue us at our heels. They persecute us. They're right on our heels, watching our every step. In other words, I heard somebody say about these times, they said, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Well, number one, I'm not going to be happy. And number two, I already own it all. Because he says, if I've given you the kingdom, I've given you everything. 
It's my good delight to give you the kingdom. So whatever they take, I have much more. And I hope you understand that. You may not be any on the same track, but stay there, you'll catch up, okay? I promise. Now, he gives the reason for the mess they're in in verse 7. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Servants rule over us. There's none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness and because of the fever of famine. That's interesting. Verse 14, it got so bad in that day, the elders have ceased. The young men stopped playing their music. Verse 15, there was no more joy. And then verse 16, woe. There's a woe. Woe to us, for we have sinned. The woes come because of sin, an unrepentant sin. And our heart is faint. But then there's good news in verse 19. He says, you, O Lord, remain forever. Say forever. You're thrown from generation to generation. In other words, God never changes. In a world that's changing, God never changes. And he's the only one that can change the situations that we find to sin, right? He's the only one that can change the human heart. And here's the key in verse 21. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. And basically, that's how you get great again. When God renews and restores, he's our hope. He's the remedy. There's no other, say there's no other remedy. I don't know of any remedy. Do you know any politician that can save us? Do you know, has anyone written a book, given us the one, two, threes? Well, what, there is one. It's in there. It's in Lamentations 1, Lamentations 2, Jeremiah 3, and Luke 8, and on and on. But let me read this quote. We're willing to pay the price for our calling. We don't only share the gospel when things are rosy, but it is to be done in every situation. Hunger and want will never discourage us. Swords and guns, even the roar of the devil, will not only encourage us to stand first for Christ. If we die, our blood will speak about Christ to our killers. That was a quote from a pastor in Nigeria facing persecution. I, I want you now, we can, you can let lamentations go, but go over to John chapter 15. We have to go to the New Testament. You know, I'm, I know the word. We have to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Because that's the remedy for the hour. You know, when I read that introductory summary of the book of 2 Timothy, you know, they were in trouble. There was opposition. And things were happening. People were falling away. People wanted their ears tickled. They found teachers who would tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. And they felt good about themselves. It's not about feeling good about ourselves. It's about dying to ourselves and knowing that our goodness is in Him. Jesus Himself said, Why do you call me good? 
There's none good, no, not one, but the Father. So even Jesus as the Son of Man, he had to have made that statement as the Son of Man. Because he's the Son of Man and the Son of God. Both. Remember that. But he said there's no good. It's in the Father. And so it is with us. What is good is that which he's doing through us. And we understand that principle. Anyway, let's go to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Say, John, we got to read John's gospel. And you got to preach the word of the Lord. Jesus said, go make disciples. How do you make disciples? You baptize them. You teach them all the things that I I'm doing, that I've spoke, that I've taught. That's what a disciple is, a learner. Say a learner. So you have to teach the things that Jesus said. So we're going to camp out with Jesus this morning. I have a feeling if he walked into churches in America, he probably wouldn't be as kind and gentle. I mean, he is gentle. He is kind. But he probably would tell the truth. He probably would show up in places we would never have expected him to show up. He would probably go to people we've already discarded and thought, certainly there's no hope. He probably would have shown up in places we would have never dreamed Jesus would be there in that place. And then there are other places he probably wouldn't even be let in the door of some places. I wonder. I wonder. Anyway, I better quit wondering. Okay. I was just thinking, I wonder, I'm going to say it anyway. I wonder if Jesus knocked on the door of the Capitol, would they let him in like they let all the other people in, you know, with, you saw the videos, come on in. I wonder if they'd let him in, or would they say, no, you're not welcome here. Since they opened their prayer in the name of, what was it, a man and a woman, they probably wouldn't let him in. Okay, let's go to the text before people shut me off. John chapter 15. Now look at that. Okay, here's a great scripture to go to. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. So Lord, help us. We repent quickly and we choose to abide in the love. Your love and we choose to be love. He says you're going to need love in this hour. That's why he said this. You're going to see that. These things, verse 11. I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. And then he talks about, if you really love him, you'll keep his commandments. Greater love. He says, greater love is this, and no one would lay down his life. Verse 16, he wants to remind them, you did not choose me. I chose you. How many of you found that to be true? He chose us Not just in spite of who we are, but because of who we are. And because he saw something in us of great worth and great value. And the only in us that is of value is his son. To the degree that his son lives in me. But he chose us. Even though he knew we would fail him often. He still chose us that we should go and bear fruit. Now verse 18. If the world hates you, say, hates me, hates me, you know that it hated me. That's a capital me, Jesus, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember, if Jesus said, the world will hate you, and then he follows that up with the word remember, do you know what you should probably do? Remember. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There's a whole lot more. Verse 23, he who hates me hates my father. And uh, that's the ultimate war that is, there's a hatred for God. It's a hatred for the Father. But then in verse 26, here's the good news. The helper is coming. But when the helper comes, how many of you are glad for the helper? Whom the Father will send, he will testify of me. And then he said in chapter 16, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to what? Stumble. Stumble. What is the word stumble is a really interesting word. It means to be offended. You know, Jesus said that in the last days, many will be offended and betray one another. It also means to be shocked. You and I should not turn on the news and be shocked by what's happening in the world. Jesus already told us things that are coming to pass. It also means stumble morally. In other words, don't stumble into sin. Because there will be greater temptations in these days because you will find the things of the world will fail you. And so you'll think they're temporary fixes from the things of the world, but they're all temporary fixes. So don't stumble morally. It means to falter or to err, or it also means to fall away. Say fall away. It means the apostasy that many are going to fall away, and he's trying to warn them of this. Now he goes on, he says, they will put you out of the synagogues in verse 2. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you so that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And then he goes on and he tries to convince them that it's to their advantage that he goes away, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, just think about it. We, we have to grasp something because where I'm about to go, we must go. But as far as believers are concerned, We've not been appointed to wrath, have we? Remember that scripture? You've not been appointed to wrath, but to what? Obtain salvation. You have to know the difference, especially in the day of wrath. Next, we are called overcomers in this life, not in the one to come. You don't need to overcome. You will have already received your crown. It's all there in this life, an overcomer. The Bible also says we always triumph in Christ. It says we are to endure how much? All things for the sake of the elect. 
If you do not endure all things, there will be some that will not make it to heaven. That's what the scripture says. Endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they too might obtain salvation. It's amazing. We forget those scriptures when it's convenient. And then we're to live, and if need be, die, knowing that in this world we have no continuing city. Where's that come from? Hebrews chapter 13. They lived knowing that in this life there was no continuing city, but they looked for the one to come. Their hope was not in this life. Their hope was in eternity. And you can read about that all in the scriptures. Now, let me go from here. We'll read verse 20 again, and then we'll take off. Remember the word that I said to you. Now, these are words in red. So who are we listening to? Remember, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I was sent a book. Was it last week? I think it was last week. From a young man. I guess he was a young man. I don't know. He might have been an old man, but I didn't know who he was. And you know when you receive something from someone you don't know, you, you don't know whether you should receive that or not. You're to know those that labor among you. But this I received, I know, from the Holy Spirit. And I knew that God was using. I, I emailed that man back and I said, who are you that you would send this book to me? And I never heard back from him. Maybe it doesn't matter. But I know... I know who wanted me to read this book. It's the kind of book I would rather have not read, but I'm reading it out of obedience. It was called Live Not By Lies. Live Not By Lies. It's a manual for Christian dissidents. Now, it was dedicated to this Catholic priest, a father by the name of Tomilov Kolakovic. He was born in 1906. He grew up under the Marxist communist revolution and the police state that enslaved Russia and one half of Europe. It seems like it was so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. It almost seems like to us a fairy tale. It didn't really happen. No, it really happened and they were real people that had real children, real grandchildren, and it happened in real time. Now the title, Live Not By Lies, and I'm just going to share because I want to say it all correctly. It was the title of an essay published by Alexander Solzhenitsyn as he was being forced into exile. And it was his final message to the Russian people. It was something he wanted them to know before he was sent away. The essay exposed the foundation of totalitarianism. Now I saw in that book, and I did not know this, the term totalitarianism was first used by the, the followers, or actually the supporters of Benito Mussolini, the fascist dictator, and they defined that term as really the way it should be defined. Here's the way they defined it. They define it. Everything within the state, nothing outside of the state, nothing against the state, 
In other words, the state was God. That was their creed. That was their motto. You could not resist. If they even thought you were a resistor, you must be removed. Does that make sense? That was totalitarianism. Now back to Solzhenitsyn. In describing, in that book, in describing the foundation of totalitarianism, he, he said, first of all, basically it is anti-Christ in nature. We, we know that. Marxist, communism, socialism is anti-Christ. Everybody know what I'm talking about. They consider God as their enemy. And anyone that serves him is an enemy of the state. I remember reading a book by Richard Wombrand. He was the man that was tortured, remember, under the communist. And he wrote a book about Karl Marx. Everyone should read it. But it said Karl Marx, he believed in God. And he hated him. And his goal was to to bring as much evil as possible upon the followers of God. He wanted basically to ruin mankind. And you think about socialism, communism, Marxism, what does it do? It ruins everything. Total ruin. It describes the devil correctly. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy everything in its path. Okay, so secondly, Solzhenitsyn wanted the people to know that Marxist theology is built on lies. And more than lies, it's built on the lies that cover up the lies. You have to lie in order to cover up your last lie, which was a lie which covered up the lie you told before. And I thought that's amazing. Well, it's just their father, the devil. He's the father of lies. And they lie to the degree that they actually believe what they're saying is the truth. And that's what the Bible says. They exchanged the truth for a lie. God gave them up. So they literally believe the lies are the truth. And they believe those who tell the truth are the liars. Now you got to, everybody's still with me? Don't go anywhere. If I see people leave, I'm going to go after you. No, there's someone already left, and she, she had to go. It's a good excuse. But anyway, what was that one dictator said? You tell a lie, you keep telling it, keep telling it, and eventually the masses of the people will believe you. Yeah. Now, the third thing he said about totalitarianism, he said how the system depends on the people's fear of, of challenging the lies. You have to promote fear so that they will not challenge what the narrative is for the moment. And in the essay, Solzhenitsyn wanted the Russian people to remember, our way must be never knowingly support lies. Sometimes you won't know, but never knowingly, because you're compromising with the father of lies. And he wanted them to know that. It's alarming to me how many people today are supporting and agreeing with what they know in their heart is a lie, either by their actions or by their silence. 
especially by their silence. I, I want to show you. We'll come back over there, I think. But you've got to go to Proverbs chapter 18. I've got to show you. No, Proverbs chapter 6. Did you know there are some things that God hates? That sounds foreign in today's Christianity. You mean God, there are things he hates? Yes, I can read. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. An abomination is the word disgusting or abhorrent to God. So if they're abhorrent and disgusting to God, don't you think it would be a little disgusting and abhorrent to us? It should be. If it's not, we have a problem. Because it's not about our likes or dislikes. It's about God's likes and his dislikes. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven. You'll see why he said seven, because they're one that repeats itself. A proud look. That's haughty appearance. A lying tongue. Say a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Now you could just fill in the word abortion there. And many more things. Shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running to evil. They can't wait in their, their pursuit of evil. And a false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. The word discord is strife or division. It is amazing to me how we honor those whom God said he has a problem with. But notice, were there two? did you see two things he repeated in there? Because he said seven, but I only see six different ones. There's one that's repeated, and what is that? Lies. Because... Remember in Revelation, all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire. Why? Because lies devour and they destroy. The tongue is a world of iniquity that can set on fire the course of nature. And so that's why we're to have the tongue tamed. Oh, let's go on. Furthermore, in the essay, essay, it was about how that the Russian people had to stand for the truth regardless of the cost and there would be great cost. And you only have to look in history a few years ago to see it. But he challenged them. Don't live by lies. Whatever the cost, stand for the truth. And preserve it. What did that scripture Bobby read one time when he was here, Bobby Connor? Find the truth and buy it. And uh, when Bobby says it, I believe it because he says so much from the scripture. He's he's devoured the word of God. So this is what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and 16. You will be hated. But in the midst of all that will come your way, abide in love, abide in joy, keep your joy, obey the commands of God, and see what God will do. Now back to the father, the Catholic priest. He was one who saw the time that was coming. What did that make him? A watchman and a prophet. He spoke prophetically as a watchman. He dedicated himself to warn his people, yet prepare the people for what Jesus said would happen to those who love him, and that is you will be persecuted. 
So he gathered those in Czechoslovakia and he began to prepare them. He knew and taught, here's what he taught. This is in the book. That only a total life committed to Christ would enable them to withstand the coming trials. That's the only thing. They would not withstand them if they lived half-heartedly. You can't withstand the Lord if you live half-heartedly because with those who are lukewarm, he said, I will spew you out of my mouth. He doesn't even stand for it. It's not a day to be lukewarm. He also told the people, give yourself totally to Christ Throw all your worries upon him, for he has a wide back, and you will witness miracles. Well, just as he predicted, two years after his deportation by the Czech authorities, the communists seized power, the book says every single member of his spiritual family was imprisoned. The church was brutalized into submission many years later. When the father or the family of the father, the spiritual grandchildren, children emerged, they began out of prison, they began to build the underground church. It was the underground church led by the spiritual children and grandchildren of the father that became the principal means of the anti-communist descent over the next 40 years. It was these people in Czechoslovakia that were responsible because they were prepared and they believed they knew what the word of God said that actually were used to kick off what was called the Velvet Revolution, which was how what God used to overthrow the communist regime. Now it could be said that their lives or their souls, their mind, their will, their emotions, they were saved. And they were used of God greatly. Now let's shift gears. How many of you want to shift gears? Let's shift gears. Okay, enough of the father. But in my mind, that father is a champion of the faith. He's a hero. And there's some reward for that man because his fruit remained. Even in the midst of the shackles, his fruit remained and bore fruit to this day. And it's said that although the Slavic Christians were among the most persecuted in that particular area of Europe, those people saw miracles. They saw the hand of God. They were prepared and ready. And the kingdom of God was advanced in spite of their being like Paul was in prison. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears, I promise. The calling card of New Testament Christianity is not success. It's suffering. I can show you many places that many don't go to anymore because they'd rather not go because the American gospel does not allow it. The American gospel is being shaken to its core. Those who claim to speak for Christ are being shaken. New Testament Christianity is not about prosperity nor popularity. It's about persecution. Those who willingly chose to follow Christ knew that it would cost them everything. You did not come to Christ unless you were willing to leave all behind. 
Jesus said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. Paul wrote later on, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. And we know that's a picture of the dying to self, living to Christ. But listen to this verse. Philippians 1, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, as always, so now Christ may be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I shared with you how I had to memorize that scripture as a young man. He would not let me get away with it without memorizing it because he wanted me to know it's not about whether you live or die. It's about ultimately is Christ magnified in your life. And I can assure you, Christ is going to be magnified in this nation, in this hour. He will receive the reward of his suffering. He will be glorified. He will not be crowned king. He already is king. And there's none other. No one is going to get in on sharing his glory. If they touch his glory in this hour, you will see them disappear. Okay, I was thinking of this. I said, you know, Lord, the American church has a distinct honor in regard to maybe any other church in history. And that is, you want to hear? We are probably the most unprepared church in human history to face persecution. There are many reasons. False doctrine, having church and not being the church. I could think of many things. Compromise. We put our trust in men rather than in the God of men. It's amazing how I hear people today say, did you hear the word that someone spoke? Rather than, did you hear what God said through that someone? The word of God. Did you hear the word of the Lord that was spoken today through so-and-so? It was not, it doesn't matter who so-and-so is. It matters who God is. And I'm convinced that God has prepared a people and he is preparing a people now that will be used of God. Not only as they were used in that season in that part of Europe but they're going to be used of God in ways that even the angels cannot wait to behold. Prophets have prophesied of these days. Angels have longed to be a part, and you and I have been chosen. You've been summoned to the year 2021. 
You've been summoned. You did not choose him. He chose you. So I'm just going to wrap this up. It'll take a few minutes, but not too many minutes. And I'm just so, I'm so grateful to be one of his sons. How many of you are grateful? That's it. The highest calling of God is to be one of the sons or daughters of God. There's no higher calling. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want the job of being the commander-in-chief. I sit under the commander-in-chief now. And I'm one of his sons. I'm one of his servants. And you are too. But I want to look at what the Bible says. I'm just going to touch on some things and maybe... Later on in the days to come, we can go back and look at some of this. But what does the Bible say about persecution? Because I just saw, what was it? Um, what is it? I forget the name of the ministry. It said there are more people being persecuted in this year than maybe ever in the history of, of Christianity all over the earth. And it's on the rise. Persecu- Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So what does the Bible say? Here's some things. I'll just jot them. We'll briefly comment on them. It says, number one, we should look at persecution as what is included in normal Christianity and kingdom living. Did you hear that? Kingdom living. Matthew chapter 5. We have to look there real fast because it's important that we just glance at this just to know, just to have a a fresh understanding. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Chapter 5, Matthew, verse 3. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then in verse 10, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And just to wrap that up, you know that you know the Beatitudes, people look at the Beatitudes as some unattainable, unachievable, you know, one day we'll get there. No, the Beatitudes are to be our attitudes now. That is to be our attitude now. That's why he gave us the Beatitudes. Here to be our attitude. Number two, persecution is an identifying mark of all true believers who desire to live close to Jesus. Where do you get that from? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, it speaks about perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves, seeking after pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, boasters, proud, traitors. How did traitor get in the mix? They must have been looking to our, our generation. But all these things, blasphemers. And then it says in that text, but evil men and imposters will suddenly fade away 
and be no more. Is that what it says? I wish it said that. There's some people that are saying that. We're going to lock them all up. How did that go? No. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse and worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But you, 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 you're different. Continue in the things you've learned and been assured of from your childhood. And then as Dr. Kyle spoke, you know, go after God's word where you are instructed, trained in righteousness and where you're equipped for every good work. Do you know how you are equipped to do the works of Jesus? From the word of God. The word equips you. And then it has to say something like in 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I shared this with a group. I remember hearing the story of a, of a missionary returning from China years ago with a message from the Chinese believers. And uh, their message was twofold. Number one, keep sending Bibles. We thank you. Send us Bibles. Number two, their message was, tell the American Christians to not necessarily pray that our persecution would cease. They said persecution draws us closer to Jesus. And we would be rather, rather be closer to Jesus than be comfortable like you. I've never forgotten that. And then number three, we should understand that accelerating persecution is a sign of the times marking the last days. It's part of heaven's agenda. How can it be heaven's agenda? Well, Matthew 24 says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated. And there's some that will even kill you thinking they've done God a favor. They're working for God. They won't be working for God. They'll be working for their God. The one who steals, kills, and destroys. But I want to show you, look at the Revelation. You guys still with me? Nobody's checked out. Revelation chapter 6. You've got to see this. Well, you know this. You've already read it. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they did what? They held. It was their personal testimony and their, it, it was lived out in the world of their faith in Christ. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should eat or they should rest. Maybe eating is part of that. But they should rest. Rest and a little while longer. For a little while longer. Until both the number of their fellow servants. And their brethren. Where were the brethren? On the earth. The brethren who would be killed as they were. As they were. Was completed. It speaks for itself. The next thing, persecution, although it will come with, and this is the hardest, although it will come from many sources, 
one of the most heart-wrenching sources, we need to see what Jesus said about it. Look in Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. You need to know this so that you won't be shocked, so that you will not falter, fall away, lose your hope, be overwhelmed. And all the things that Jesus said, I've told you these things so that when they begin to happen, you will not be made to stumble. So look in this, Revelation chapter 21. And uh, Luke, 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 thank you. Luke 21. And I'm, I'm in Revelation, I'm in Luke, I'm in Matthew. I'm all over. Because I just, I, the word of God is inside of me. And I'm weary of holding it in. And I, for one, am going to not, I could not imagine standing before him with something that I should have said that I didn't say, that he said he told me to say. You're going to be held accountable too. Did you say what I told you to say? Did you go where I told you to go? Did you do what I told you to do? Did you love who I told you to love? It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Anyway... We won't go there now. Literally, we won't go there now. We have a task to do, but we're going. Verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before the kings and the rulers. Now look down in verse 16. We'll come back to the other verses in a moment. And this is what I wanted you to see, but Jesus said you will be betrayed even by parents, and brothers, relatives, and friends. Let me repeat that again. And you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he tells them not a hair of your head shall be lost and in your patience, endurance, possess your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. You may lose your life, but possess your soul. The next thing, persecution will provide opportunities for powerful testimonies. I know the Bible's already been written, but I know what Daniel says, that in a time of increasing wickedness, those who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Maybe it'll be an appendix. It won't be the Word of God. The Bible's canonized. But maybe there'll be some book recorded in heaven with all the great exploits of the saints that were on the earth in a time of wickedness, but who knew their God and were strong. And they carried out great exploits in the midst of what would be the darkest season maybe ever known to man. Because that's what... Luke says, Luke 21, verse 13, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. You know what the word testimony means in the Greek? Martyr. Witness. Witness. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. 
and you will be betrayed by brothers and relatives and parents and these things. But powerful testimony. Persecution, number six, persecution will require patience and endurance and will be followed by great reward. And that's what we just read. Verse 19, by your patience, by your endurance, possess your souls. And there will be reward. And you know that scripture where James, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Remember that? For the testing of your faith produces. I got stuck right there. Produces. I know it said produces, you know, patience and love. And and there's a whole list of things that produces. But what I wanted to, what I felt the Holy Spirit said, notice, the testing of your faith always produces. You may think you're going through hell, and you may be, but you're producing heaven in the midst of it. Heaven is coming to the earth, and you're producing. That's what the kingdom, those who of the kingdom, they, they're going to produce much fruit. You lay hold of it with violence. But you enter the kingdom through much tribulation. Man, there's a lot of good stuff in all of that. And then the next thing, we should remember that God will give you grace just at the moment you need it. Now, I know I shared this a few weeks ago, but i got to share this again. Because I just so appreciate Corey Ten Boom and her testimony and how she was with her sister and other family in this German concentration camp. And then you remember... She wrote about it later. She said it was the deepest hell that man can imagine. But she was released on a clerical error. Remember, and then she went, but her sister died, father, many, you know, members of her family. But she told a story how when she was a little girl, remember, I shared this, and she was, you know, they would go from Harlem to Amsterdam on the train. And uh, anyway, they're waiting for the train. And Corey looks up to his father and says, "Uh, Father, I don't know if I could ever give my life for Jesus. I don't know that I could be persecuted for him. And he took the opportunity. He said, well, when do I give you the ticket to get on the train, on the train when we board to go to Amsterdam? She said, Father, you give it to me as we're boarding, right when we get on the train. And he looked at her and he said, so it will be, Corey. God will give you the grace at the very moment that you need it. I was thinking about that a lot, even this week. I know there's common grace. I know we're saved by grace. And there's grace, you know, people have. But there's a special grace that's coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You remember that scripture? Let me just, 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That, in other words, the saving of your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. You got to keep, no, there's a difference. You may lose your life, but for the saving of the soul, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the revelation, upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a grace that's going to be given at the days when Jesus is being revealed, like there was not before. Does that make sense? It's in reserve. And then another thing. 
Persecution and suffering for the cause of Christ comes with our calling. Say, my calling. We've been sold a bill of goods. You've been told, follow Christ, prosperity, peace forever, tiptoe through the tulips. And then you tried to tiptoe and you stumbled and fell on a stupid tulip. And there the scripture says, those who come after me, they, the righteous stumble seven times, but they rise again. And we learn that over time. But anyway, here's a scripture, 2 Timothy 1.11. He says how he was appointed, ordained a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And he said, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened and you know it. You see, the New Testament church, New Testament Christians wanted to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. They wanted to know him. And they shared in the sufferings of Christ. And then persecution will separate the fake from the genuine. The Lord is not only going to judge between sheep and goats. You can look in Ezekiel. I can show you. He's going to judge between sheep and those who look like sheep. Sheep and sheep. That's the way he put it. And persecution will be used. I remember hearing a story of I may have shared this too, but it's okay. You can do that. Maybe we'll get the point. But I remember shared about somewhere in, in a land that was being under persecution. And a gunman walks in the back door of the church on a Sunday morning, holds up the gun and says, Okay, all of you that are make-believe believers, you can leave. But if you stay, you're confessing your belief and you're confessing that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You leave, that's your denial. But you can go. He's holding up the gun. You may leave now. He said many people got up and left, walked out, closed the door behind them. There were some that stayed the gunman then walked. They're wondering, what's, what is he going to do? He walked up to the front of the altar, holds up his gun, puts it down on the altar, and says, now we can really have church. And then the last thing, persecution leads to an advancement of the gospel and of the kingdom. Unheard of advancements. Acts chapter 8 records where persecution arose in Jerusalem. Remember, they, the sheep were scattered, but what happened? They preached the gospel everywhere they went. And there was a, the gospel began to just grow and multiply, the hearing and seeing. Everywhere they went, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken. Hearing and seeing the miracles which Paul 
or Philip, did, and many others. For unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice, and there was joy in the city, in the midst of the persecution, because of the works of Jesus that were being accomplished as the church was being scattered. Now, this is how I wrap this up, because I was wondering, Lord, I don't know how to begin this. If I don't know how to begin it, I sure don't know how to end it. And he just reminded me about that in Matthew 28. He said, you tell them this. Behold, I give you authority, and I'm sending you, you know. Go, ye therefore, and preach the gospel. And we know to every creature, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Preach the word, baptizing them. And make disciples. And lo, not woe, but lo. Lo, I think, means pay up, pay attention. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Go ye, therefore, to all nations. You don't stop. Ask for me for nations. When the nations rage and the people plot vain things, Psalm 2.8, ask of me. And I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. The very time it gets the darkest is the time we're to walk. And he said what would be the greatest glory ever known to mankind. Darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the glory of the Lord will arise over you. And in going back to Matthew 28, he wanted me to emphasize And I'm with you always. I am with you always. Not only until the end of the age, but especially at the end of the age. 